HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's October 25th, 2016. New York City's full of Halloween parties, and uh, but we're talking about beer. It's Cider Week, too, so we've got some of our favorite guests. Jeff Chiletti, an author. He's our favorite author of The Drinking the Year of Drinking Adventurously, which I loved. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm good. How are you, Jimmy? You know, one night we did a, a little a tasting with Scotch versus Irish whiskeys, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about tonight. His new book's out. It's Beer FAQ, talking about beer around the world. Uh, Augie Carden says, the cliff notes for uh, any, anything you should know about beer. Something like that. But but big praise to you, man. Uh, and I'm working on another book, too. So Jeff's going to be sitting with me here tonight, kind of a co-host. BR, our, our favorite Shelton Brothers uh, import person brought in. Uh, our good buddies. Please say your name because I can't pronounce it. Okay. So my name is Daniel Thirier. Thirier, which I was called T-Rez. Uh, you got the extra and uh, you make good saisons. We're going to talk about some northern French brewing traditions. And a new brewer, a guy uh, who's new to New York City. Uh, introduce yourself. I am Justin Myers from uh, Palana. Palana Brauhaus, which is like the only real like scale brewery in Manhattan in New York City. So we a lot to talk about, German traditions, French traditions, and uh, what's going on in Jeff's uh, Jeff's new book here on Beer Sessions Radio. Big shout out to our sponsors, Beer Sessions Radio, supplier of world-class Ales and lagers, and Maggie's tweeting live at beer underscore session. So, here we go, guys. Welcome to the show, Jeff. So, uh, you know, year of drinking adventurously was great. Thank Did you. that Scotch and Irish tasting? We got to do that again. Yeah, that was fun. I want to do it again. Yeah. So, what's different about beer FAQ? Uh, well, this one, well. A year of drinking adventurously was all kinds of beverages that included spirits and, and a little bit of wine and, and that sort of sake, things like that. Um, but Beer FAQ, as you would guess, is just everything beer-related. And it's uh, the way I like to describe it is sort of like the Commitment Phobes Guide to Beer, where um, it, there's a little bit of a lot of different facets of beer, uh, a little bit on styles, a little bit on different malts and different hops, but also things on 
distribution, the three-tier system, uh, Bruriana, um, a little bit on travel destinations. There's even a section on beer cocktails and, uh, you know, a section on uh, fil- uh, beer festivals, like, you know, what sort of a, a curated list of beer festivals, ones that, you know, I think have the staying power, the ones worth checking out versus some of the ones that really aren't. Now, how's your knowledge of, of French and German beers? Because we can talk a little about German and French beers today. I mean, it's 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 pretty good. I couldn't rattle off a bunch of brands, but, you know, aside from the big German ones, and I've, I've, had, I've been to Germany quite a few times and France a few times, and I've been all through... Um, through Alsace, which is like the big beer part of France, so that's um, that's pretty much the extent of my my French beer knowledge. Yeah, so Daniel, uh, tell us a little bit about about your brewery. I mean, we, we know your backstory. I've been drinking your your Thierry's or Thierry. yeah. Extra. It's T H Y R I E Z. So you have to forget the H. It's T, but it doesn't matter. So my my brewery is in small village. Really, it's a corner northwest corner of France. I mean, near, very close to the Belgium border. It's about 10 kilometers from my place. And very near the, the channel, I mean, the England. So it's, about, it's north of Normandy, because most of Americans know Normandy, and it's two hours north of it. So it's really a traditional uh, area for beer, uh, f- I would say forever, because we don't have grapes, no, no wine, so we only drink beer. <laughs> well, it's a nice... You know, beer, I, I, one thing I love about working with you guys, Shelton Brothers... It's just the, the variety of beers I've tried over the years. But this is one of my favorites. It stands out from, from other French beers. You know, what, what's so special about it? Well, it's, it's interesting because uh, Danielle is the brewery is located in the traditional beer brewing region in the north where it's uh, too cold to grow grapes, but uh, barley and hops grow very well. So most people know of the farmhouse beer to guard style, very malt forward, uh, fairly a little bit on the sweeter side. Um, but what's really intriguing about, about Danielle's beers are they're, they're more kind of a hybrid saison. They, they still undergo um, sort of a, an aging period, a, matru- a maturation period. Um, but a little bit more, this one, for example, the extra is a dry hopped, dry hopped almost saison style, um, and just really unique beers brewed with local ingredients, which is also important. Um, gives you a sense of place. You know, why did you start? You, you focus on saisons when when you were starting. I know uh, we were from beer de garde as a, as a popular style. Yes, absolutely. So beer de garde started in, I would say, in the seventies, maybe forty years ago, and the main brand is Jola. So that's what, as I say, Jen Lane. Yeah, we say Jola. <laughs> so that's the first, I would say, tasty beer. When I say it, it sounds like a like a. a, a Consumer product like soap or shampoo, Jen Lane. So it's not. So I, I learned about beer, good beer, uh, with Jeanlin and also with um, some Belgian brewers and mainly uh, uh, beers from uh, Dupont, like Saison Dupont or Moinette, which are some of my favorites uh, beer. And how how is yours different than theirs? Uh, mine? Yes. Wow. I, I try to um, mix different influences, you know. So the Pierre de Garde, I would say, the, the more hoppy uh, style from Belgium. And also, especially for this one, the English um, uh, way to brew, I mean, low alcohol and a lot of, and very hoppy. Uh, English brewers are very good for that, uh, sort of bitter style. And the first time I brewed this beer, but maybe 18 years ago now, <laughs> uh, was collaboration with a uh, brewer from Kent uh, in England. 
so I learned a lot. And the main uh, hop used in this beer is called Bramling Cross, and it's from Kent. Great. And we're going to have Jeff and Justin, why don't you guys ask them some questions? You're a brewer, you know, grew up in St. Louis. Right. I mean, how do you think the technique of uh, the French, especially that region, um, just differs from the Belgian and German style because they're so close. They share such border and history. Uh, What is the technique you think stands out in your process? So the main thing, well, one important thing about this beer and my beers is the yeast, the yeast character, which is not very um, strong in in Bière de Garde. But when I started the brewery, uh, it took me about two years, training and everything, and I selected a yeast strain from a Belgium lab, and it comes from a very long time ago from a Belgium brewery. And I work most of the time and with this yeast strain, which uh, is sort of signature of my beers. And... It's a saison yeast. Now it's called French saison yeast. Mm-hmm. And it's very well known. <laughs> and it gives a um, very balanced, I mean, hoppy and dry and balanced beer. Uh, the balance point is very important for me. Is, is that a yeast that you developed or discovered? Because I know now it's being used in Yeah, in fact, yeast in fact, I selected it. Okay? The yeast strain was banked in a, somewhere in a lab. And we had several um, experiments with different yeast strains and with my wife we selected this one just smelling the beer then we tasted it too but just the smell the the, the balance with the body and the dryness and with and now i've been working with this yeast for almost 20 years so i know how to manage it you know temperature how many uh, generations how to harvest it so it's my best friend. It's great. Welcome, man. I've, I enjoyed your beer for many years. Thank you. So, um, you know, obviously, French is a country known for, better known for a, another type of beverage. Um, yes. Uh, and then, you know, you're close. Cider. <laughs> it's Cider Week, guys. Um, and also, um, you know, you're right by Belgium, which is obviously better known for beer. Uh, how do you, what would you say the the French identity is for beer, the French beer identity, and how do you assert that, like, to, uh, you know, those of us who are into beer are familiar with French beers, but for the rest of the population, people don't usually think of, you know, France for beer. So how would you say you and your peers are really trying to assert that identity? I'm not sure there is a French identity for beers, because um, beers mainly, there are two regions in France about beers, so northern France and eastern France, close to the... So we are close to Belgium and Eastern close to Germany. The rest of France is mainly wine country. So we are trying to rebuild, I mean, to make sort of revival of craft beer. But now it's going in all directions, I would say. You know, some brewers, very very good, but are more on the IPA and, you know. So it's going in several directions, I would say. But the, the French craft beer um, scene is booming. I mean, probably 1,000 breweries uh, soon, you know. Wow. And they were, we were 20 when I started. Oh, so. oh my God, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> yeah, it's insane. Good. Yeah, man. Cheers to you, beer, bar, beer pioneer. And, and, and Justin, you, know, you poured a beer for us. So you're, you're from St. Louis. We'll get to you more in the second segment, but we know that. And you're at Polliner, which is a German 
Style Brewery or German-owned uh, brewery? Uh, German-founded, owned brewery. Uh, 1634 was their founding date. It was some Franciscan monks who wanted to cheat their way through Lint. So they created liquid bread. It was the Dachbelbach that we call Savator to this day, which is German for savior. So it was a very nice, rounded <laughs> Lent season of fasting when you had that wonderful beer to get you through the cold months. And uh, it took off so well that a few years later they made their own brewery. And maybe 10 years after that, it was nationalized by the government. <laughs> but now you're actually, there's a, there's a brewery in Manhattan. Brewery in Manhattan. Polliner Brow House that mm-hmm. you're the brewer at. Well, it is the first of the brew pubs concepts in uh, North America. They started in 1989 in Munich. Uh, my boss, Uli, he is the brewmaster of the original location. It's very beautiful. Their copper, everything is very polished like a mirror. No matter what I do, I can't get my brewery to look like that. So it's the German secret I must learn. But, uh, yes, they took off internationally. A lot of them are in Asia. Uh, my mentor, Andreas, he was in the Asian market for about seven years as the brewmaster for uh, many of the different Palano locations. And we had him on a couple of years yeah. ago, yeah. Yeah. So what are we drinking? What, this is this is a, a beer that you've made. This is uh, Polaner's Fest beer for this year. Oktoberfest is coming to a close soon, mm. um, but I still can't keep up with inventory. <laughs> and what's this? Jeff and 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 also you, Daniel. Let's taste this beer, and uh, you know it's it's a fest style, but a Marzen. Marzen. If you will. It's the more closely resembling the Marzen style of the Fest beer. Mm. This one has a little more heat than your traditional Munich beer. Uh, we made it uh, a little above 6%, but still with that balance. You know, you want it traditional. You want that nice biscuity uh, decoction mash to give it those nice caramels on the front, but a nice dry, clean finish. Uh, like all German beers, you want that balance. Uh, you want drinkability. You want to go to a beer hall and drink uh, 40 of them, not <laughs> three, right? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Is it biscuit? It's definitely biscuit. Yeah, that was a, an excellent uh, description of beer. Uh, um, it's it's a bit well. The, the fermentation is different from mm-hmm. the, the fermentation we we use. So that's probably the main difference. Uh, but it, it tastes great. I mean, very drinkable. Yeah, it almost tastes like Christmas cookies. Right. <laughs> Should keep it around for a couple more months. Unfortunately, we're just about out. Mm-hmm. I have its replacement in the tank. We use an open fermentation vessel to keep us really traditional in Bavarian. Um, and we have a Hellesbach in there that's all close I was, to I was with you a, a, about a month ago, and mm-hmm. I got to taste through some things. And I know that um, some of the other brewers in here could have really said good things about your Schwartz beer. Hell, I didn't make enough. That, like. that was out uh, before I even got to know it well, so that probably will be coming back this winter. Yeah. Well, this is great, man. We're going to talk more with both of you guys. We're back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Understanding when you are awake. Can't use my heart to think away the time. In 1996, L. Knife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. 
Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a Powermont focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, it's uh, heritageradionetwork.org. It's a great group, nonprofit. There's over 30 shows, farm report, cheese shows, chef shows, and, of course, Beer Sessions Radio. My good buddy Damon Bolte's on the speakeasy, so check him out sometime if you want to talk about cocktails and things. But um, I'm really thrilled to have, you know, the show is built around having uh, Justin Myers, who's, who's a a new brewer who's from St. Louis is just taking over at Polliner Browhouse, which is their only real brewery in Manhattan. It's kind of a claim to fame. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful brewery, a lot of equipment, and, and uh, you know you have a lot, lot of uh, you know projects ahead of you. But what's a lot it like of for you? Came, came from St. Louis. You know you work with our Stephen Hale, who's Schlafly. Tell, tell us how you got got started. Well, I joined uh, the St. Louis Brewers operation with my first job at uh, Ferguson Brewery. Uh, a couple years back under Ryan Landolt, great guy, what a great mentor. Like in Ferguson, Missouri. Yes, Ferguson, Missouri. The one that never went, no one has ever heard of, right? It was a very great uh, experience. So you were brewing there during, when, during the fires and stuff? Uh, funny and- thing, uh, we never had any damage or problems. We were uh, kind of a linchpin of the community. The family that owns the brewery owns several location restaurants there, different concepts. And uh, no, no, it was a great, great neighborhood. Real good family. It was hard to leave the Ferguson Brewery uh, because of the bond with everything going on internationally. <laughs> the spotlight. How, how did you get this job? So it's it's a a German funded you know little pilot brew pub here in in Manhattan. How did they find a guy from St. Louis to come and brew? Why didn't they bring a German guy over? Funny story was uh, I am a St. Louis guy who moved here uh, in about 2007, right out of college, to become a corporate American New Yorker. And I uh, got a little burnt out with that lifestyle, and I wanted to create and make something a little more real, use my hands. And uh, I walked into Palaner one day and was talking to the bartender. I really just want to be a brewer. I want to learn how to make these great beers. This is just like a life's dream. Who's your brewmaster? And uh, this very stout German man behind the bar, "Uh, I am. (laughs) You want to come brew with me? You come brew every day. So... He took me under his wing and... Your accent sounds Yiddish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, come to my house you Come, tomorrow. we break bread, yes. Uh, no, he, but it was just wonderful, the access, you know. You know, and he's dressed. How is he dressed? You can tell you, he's wearing a vest, a checkered shirt. What, what are these these pants that come to your... Uh, your lederhosen. A little bit of lederhosen and... Uh, so it's very important. To high have. stockings. Because <laughs> it's cold, you have to wear warm. <laughs> Uh, but I usually wear the lederhosen when I uh, brew because uh, I saw when I was in Munich, uh, everyone's lederhosen, it looks like it's third generation from their grandfather. Uh, you don't wash this. You just work into it and get a nice patina that looked like costume. So you rub your dirty hands on rub it. Rub caustic, yeah. get, get wort on it, the mash, everything, get it looking nice and uh, seasoned. And so, Dan, do the French guys, would, would you do that? No. Would you wear dirty not, pants? Yeah. <laughs> that's a big difference between us. We, we don't wear this pant, pants, but they are very nice. And well, thank you. Yes. They're comfortable. Now, last week we had a barbecue guy and he was talking about being in Texas and the guy's covered in soot and, and smoke. And you you got to you know wear your work. Got to wear your work. Right? Uh, I had that shirt that one said, uh, of course I smell like a brewery. It'd be very appropriate taking the subway home after brew day. <laughs> People uh, scatter away from you quickly. Yeah. <laughs> 
So you, 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 we tasted the beer right before the break, um, Daniel. You said there's different fer- fermenting techniques or, or traditions from what you're doing and, and from the Germans? Well, I, I'm not um, very good about German beers, I have to say. And I don't speak German, so uh, I visited Germany but very just a few times. I, I know Belgium or English ales much better. So uh, I'm not sure I can really compare, you know. Um, I'm sure you you can help me on that. <laughs> well, Justin, so how, how did you learn? So, I mean, you, you worked in some breweries. Did you start with set recipes that, that they gave you, or have you modified the recipes? Well, when I worked with Andreas, I learned the German concept, uh, the German, I guess, the overall practice. The beer making is very uh, enriched in their culture, right? Entrenched, I guess is a better word. So it's a very different process than the American style. But writing a recipe is, I think, pretty universal. Um, it took me a couple years uh, working with some really great guys to be able to be uh, an independent recipe writer and brewmaster. No, when they say it, you got to put your get your elbow grease, put the work in. You have to. There's no way to get the wisdom of a, a brewer without being in it, having things break, making bad beer to learn how to make good beer. And uh, I got very lucky having the German mentor and the American mentor, so I got to do the American. I think you, you have to go to there. I think there's so much potential there. I think it's probably one of the better brewing systems in New York City. I mean, it's, She's it's, a beauty. It's all it's copper, amazing. so lots of maintenance. <laughs> so what happened? You said you're on your way over. You're, you're almost late. What happened? There was a leak or something? We have uh, open fermentation, uh, very classic Bavarian style. So in Munich, when you go to any of the Palater brew pubs, it's all, for the most part, open fermentation. So I had a uh, staff go, oh, my gosh, there's a leak. I get this a lot. There's a leak. There's a leak. And you walk back, and it's, you know, Krausen coming from your fermentation, uh, you know, very natural process. So it's funny. I get these calls and mild heart attacks that there <laughs> might be something wrong with the brewery, only to find it's a natural part. So I think I have to do a, a staff training course to everyone so they can identify danger and not try to kill the poor brewmaster. The boy who cried leak. The boy who cried <laughs> leak or a pressure relief valve, right? <laughs> Sounds like one of those... Uh, Ads for men with odor problems. <laughs> but uh, let's go back to so Daniel. So, saisons in, in France, man. Yeah. So, uh, so I can I say that uh, what our uh, French, northern French beer de garde and Belgium saison are sort of cousins. I mean, close, you know, or, um, because they have the same origin. So, this beer originally were just to um, refresh the and drinkable for the, the farmers, people working hard during the summer, especially, and they needed to drink a lot, and uh, water was not very safe, you know, so they wouldn't drink any water, only beer, all day. And this kind of beer was where brewed for them. That's you know. going to be the new ad for Evian, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Water's not safe, drink beer. <laughs> Absolutely, but it's not true anymore because you can buy, uh, you know, mineral water. But in, in the mind of people, it, it's they, that beer is safe. And, well, if it's not too... So it shouldn't be uh, too strong, okay? So you can drink a lot. And I know, I, I met some old people from well, customers coming to the brewery. And they said that when they were working, uh, maybe 50 years ago, uh, they would drink between 8 and 10 liters a day of beer. And the farmer would bring a small uh, barrel at the end of the uh, field, in the field, you know, so when they stop, they have fresh beer. Um, so that's what beer was made for, okay? wow. to, to drinkable. 
I see the connection now to French and Germany. You know, France and Germany, it's the uh, drinkability of beer and their wine. That's, uh, yeah, that's the most important good. point. Absolutely. So, of course, now beer change a bit. We, we sometimes brew stronger beers, you know, for more for evening or meal. Um, but originally and mainly in my, in my intention, beer like this, you can drink that all evening, I would say. Good beer, it's the beer once you finish your, your glass, you want another so one. In the fields, were they like kegs or were they just buckets of beer? They were, they were uh, wood uh, barrels, wooden barrels. I have a few in my tap room. If you visit me, you'll see. <laughs> They're quite heavy. <laughs> so each farm had, had these uh, small, about 20, 30 liters uh, wooden barrels in the a ceiling, right? A basement, basement. Dances, and uh, they, they were going and get two, one or two liter for, you know, for the meal, every meal. It was like, exactly like cider, cider in Normandy. It was the everyday beverage and the only beverage. How strong were those beers? Well, probably between two and three percent. So very low, so or you maybe go back to work. That's good. Yeah, <laughs> keep working beer. And I liked you. You mentioned um, the um, liquid uh, br- uh, bread. Liquid bread. I use this expression all the time because it's true. Uh, beer is liquid bread, and because also it it contains, um, you know, it's, well, it's made with cereal, so it's good for uh, health. You know, beer. I, I love you. You guys bring over some of the Franconia. And- Kegs, and we had uh, one of the Weizenor a couple the weeks Weizenor, ago. Yeah, that, I mean, those are essentially what would have been it, brought to the fields. It's just something in direct gravity feed. It tastes, it tastes, it tastes like liquid bread to me. There's a yeah. bready. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and Weizenor also uses decoction method, open fermentation. So you're getting the, you know, really getting that rich malty flavor, which you just can't. I mean, you know, people brewers now often say, oh well. Malts are so well modified now; you don't need the double, triple decoction. But that re- that method really, really does bring out. Justin, something what is different. De- what is decoction? That's the process where you're separating part of your mash and uh, bringing it to a boil, which I think releases such caramel and body. And then you recombine to so bring it like up. Reducing part of it. You're reducing part of it, boiling it, enriching it, and then recombining it to bring it up the whole mass of your mash. To a different mash. That's what I do when I cook, man. This beer I have <laughs> here. a little bit. Yeah. We did three decoctions for this dunkel, and it took me like six extra hours. We're uh, so good. And Dale, <laughs> I, I want some more of your. Is this the. Which one is this? The Tier de Yeah, extra. Extra. Yeah. I like the, the dryness. Yeah. The dry so, finish is so good. Yeah, you asked me about differences. The, the thing you just explained is different. So we, we don't use this decoction uh, brewing system. I brew a step infusion. I mean, so I just start maybe, let's say, 55 centigrade uh, mm-hmm. Celsius, I mean. And then slow, one, maybe six, 64. And then, so we heat the, um, the kettle. With, so it's more step infusion. Mm-hmm. But with several different temperatures, which is very important for the... The complexity and the, the body of the beer. Beer is going to translate to Jimmy talk. Well, no, no, I just I didn't want to say that I felt that all brewers who did not use decoction were doing the wrong thing. It's pre- predominantly for the, the, the German style beers where that just works know. so well. If you're so, in Munich, they would say you're doing <laughs> yeah, it all wrong. Well, then that, that's that. <laughs> there's only there are only a handful outside of, a relative handful outside of Germany that are actually doing it. I know Live Oak down in um, in Austin, Texas, has been doing it for a while, but really they're in the minority as far as anybody who's not German. I was at a wonderful brewery. Uh, Yesterday, or I'm sorry, Sunday in Pennsylvania, got a beautiful tour by some wonderful people. And I, my question was, 
uh, do you, you have wonderful German beers here? Do you do decoction mashing? And I got to ask a brewer, and he looked like a deer in headlights, and he's like, we tried it. We did. <laughs> It was a lot. It added a lot of time to the brew day. <laughs> Which brewery was that? Uh, I don't. You can't tell me. I mean, I could. It just yeah. it didn't seem nice. Oh yeah. Yeah. Same. Same with us. Uh, the different temperatures we, we use uh, take it take more st- more time, obviously, than single uh, step. You say okay, but um, I, I stick to it. I mean, good beer needs time anyway. So uh, for. Every step you need to respect, you know, so brewing, then fermenting, then we lager, we, we keep the beer for a few weeks in the tanks before bottling, then it's bottled fermented, fermented. so we have to wait between two and three weeks uh, before it's ready. So, you know, it takes about six weeks. And sometimes our consumers, they don't understand, you know, we run out of one beer and we say, okay, but come back next, uh, well, the end of the month. Because beer is not ready, we have to wait. <laughs> it's sometimes it's hard for them to understand. But yeah, oh, I take, get people irate sometimes at the tasting room. How could you be out of this beer? We came all this weird way yeah. to try that. Well, I have four other beers you could try. Exactly. Yeah. So we we well we spend a lot of time. I think you do the same educating people sure. about, about beer, about the time, the, the everything we we do to to make it good and great. How many different beers do you make, Daniel? Uh, about ten. I'll take a refill too. I love this. Okay. <laughs> and then we're still. Don't worry, Justin. We're gonna go to your doppel box in too. So this is quite good. By I the don't way. know. I'm really I enjoying this. See, as we say on all the tours, you might do the same at a tasting room. Uh, they always ask, "What is your favorite beer?" Yeah. Free. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we we have visitors at the brewery too, and a uh, small uh, tap room. And yes, it's important for us to uh, this. Be able to talk with the people, to educate, as I explained, to show how we work. There's no secret, I would say. Um, yeah, we, we, we like this. It's all mysterious. The more <laughs> of the accent, the better it sounds. <laughs> I, 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 I love your beer, man. Let's toast to okay. the TDA, the extra. And we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Santé. 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 That's nice, it. man. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio. I thought it was like some kind of like, hey, Minnie, you're so fine, you're so fine. <laughs> hey, Mickey. Mickey, that's it. Thank you. Hey, Mickey. But um, we're loving this TODA. You know, again, every time you bring someone into the show, BR, I just like, it's one of my favorite beers. I've always wanted to meet the brewer. Um, but I asked you how many beers you made. You didn't so, tell me. So now I brew, How many beer, beers you make that you export to the U.S.? So we brew, I brew about 10 beers all year round. And uh, I sh- export three, I would say, PR. Yeah, three of them. Yeah, yeah, well, three on a regular basis, the yeah. extra, the blonde, and the amber. Uh, then we also get the Christmas beer, yeah. Bière de Noël. Um, and when we're lucky, uh, Vieille Brune, which is barrel-aged, uh, old brown barrel-aged in red wine barrels. Oh, I never had that one. Yeah, yeah but it's very, very little... Uh, 
very limited amount. Mm. So I think uh, only a few uh, cases got in the U.S. I remember uh, years ago when I was when I first was drinking, there tried to be this movement of like French craft breweries, and I know that. At one time, Shelton, you guys had a whole portfolio of different ones. Do you feel that you need to be associated with other French craft breweries, or do you feel like you're better off standing on your own? Well, I don't need to. I mean, each brewery is different. It's you know because each brewery is different. So, but I have good friends uh, in France, and one of them is will be with me uh, tonight. So, a French brewer. But I, I, I was not part of this association because the important point is not that French beer. The important point is my beer, you know, and I happen to be French, so I'm very glad. But, you know, I'm not re- I don't represent, you know. So I, I love some French beers, but I don't like all of them. <laughs> you understand what I mean? I do. That's one yeah. thing I think that happens with Shelton Brothers. You guys find these really great beers and you don't necessarily have to be from France. Like, you probably would be making this beer if you cross borders. Would you be making this beer in England? Yes. Yeah, you probably would. Yeah. yeah I always thought your beers are very international. Yeah. I love the hop finish. Yeah. It's like, you were one of the first beers I had that was, you know, everyone talks about session IPAs. Mm. It was kind of like you guys had two beers, Taras Bulba from Belgium and, and Thierrier Extra, which, were, which at the time were, you know, eye-opening. It's like, wow, they're session beers with a nice hop profile. What are the hops that you use? Because your hops are different. They're not like these huge kind of West Coast hops. Oh, no. I, I mostly uh, brew with uh, European hops and, when I can, French hops. So in this one, there are two hops. One, the first one is called Brewer's Gold. So it comes originally from England. Okay. Uh, but it's grown uh, just next to my, to my breweries in northern France. And the second uh, I use is Bramling Cross, and it's only grown in, in uh, Kent. It's not common. I think I'm the only French brewer to, to use that hop. I like it very much. So I try to, yeah, to use, as most of the time, local ingredients means local hops. But locals mean from England, Belgium, you know, it's so close, from Germany. I recently brewed um, unfiltered lager, sort of Keller beer, uh, with German hops, like Tetnang, Pearl, what we call noble hops, and I love them. And I sometimes use uh, West Coast U.S. hops, but just a little. I mean, I, I try to keep the, the tradition and work with the, the local ingredients. Yes. I saw some photos of, of your brewery. It's really just this little kind of farmhouse building. Yeah, because the, the place, the location it, where I, I brew, it used to be a brewery uh, 70 years ago. Uh, so unfortunately, when I arrived there, when I bought the, the place, the, the brewery was not there anymore. It stopped in 1945, exactly, so it's a very long time ago. But just to imagine, in my the village I live, about 2,000 people, Population and there were five breweries uh, between the two world war. So and next village uh, were eight breweries and so on. So there were thousands of breweries. Unfortunately, I would say all of them, or ninety nine percent of them, just stopped uh, business. I mean, same in America, we had a brewery for every neighborhood. You know, every patch of land had a brewery, a local, you know, place to get your beer fresh. You'd send your child with a couple of quarters and a bucket, and he'd bring home beer for the next couple of days. 
and that went away with and the industrialization. Now <laughs> it's called chalet relic. <laughs> you don't yeah. send your kid to get the beer anymore, but you can throw a stone and hit five breweries yeah. in St. Louis. That's for sure. Jeff, with thing. with beer FAQ, your new book. Yeah, you know, and, and your drink uh, year of drinking adventurously around the world. Mm. Uh, is there one question that you have for uh, for Daniel about? I mean, I guess the interesting thing is one of the things that I talk about in my book is this concept that I've been calling the broomerang effect because I like really bad puns. But (laughs) it's basically how European brewers influenced the American craft beer scene. And now there are a lot of European brewers that are being influenced by those same American brewers that they influenced. So, you know, now you're seeing a lot of hop forward you know, American-style IPAs, even in the U.K., where they invented the IPA, and now they're making American-style IPAs. The, the new craft brewers are making IPAs. Do you, um, you know, sort of related to that, and even in, in Germany they're making IPAs and they're making stouts and things like that now with some of the newer breweries and stuff. Um, and, and, you know, Belgium, you know, who would have thought there would ever be a style called Belgian IPA or Belgian-style IPA? So, so my question is, um, you know, do you think that... Um, sort of brewing in Europe is is sort of losing its sort of uh, cultural traditions a little bit and adopting some of these U.S. traditions? And do you think that people should be asserting their, their individual traditions better? Well, it's complicated. I think the influences are, you know, both way. I mean... Uh, I know that many American brewers visit Europe um, and sometimes work as an apprentice in European breweries. And and you are right, especially in France now, many young brewers get a very strong influence for the U.S. from (laughs) IPAs and so on. But still, it's good. I mean, it goes in both both directions, I would say. And anyway, in, shortly, as, uh, it becomes very difficult to buy uh, hops, American hops in Europe. So IPAs. <laughs> it's difficult in America, too. Yeah. <laughs> and the price is absolutely crazy. If you want uh, Amarillo or Citra, or, you cannot get them all. So I think, anyway, the brewers will have to learn, for those who don't, to work and to, to, to make beer with what they have around the brewery. And... I think it's it's good thing in a way. You yeah, know? I don't. Luckily, don't have that problem mm-hmm. with the. Uh, we use German noble hops, and the German, you know, classic Braumeisters would tell you, why would you want to hide your beer behind a bunch of hops, right? Why hide any flaws? So I, I don't believe in that. I like. Yeah, there's a Norwegian brewery with, mm-hmm. which writes, uh, "Well, if your beer is not very good, just add a lot of hops. Add a lot of hops, <laughs> and if it's still not good, make add it even more. make it stronger. <laughs> and if it's not good, uh, age it in barrel. And you know, <laughs> you know. Uh, it's fun because and then you've created the next fan. Is, is that non yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think people do that with barrel aging too. They hide a lot of flaws with it. Yeah, you know, a lot of times aging. all you taste is barrel. Sheesh. We're finding out that that doesn't hide a lot of flaws anymore. <laughs> Barrel aging is very interesting, and I, I do a little, but still, a classic beer uh, should be yeah, crisp and clean. And well, you, I, I you love have to the aka Tires Extra, yeah. so much. But last one, so, so Justin, you're, you've got like pretty much the only real kind of like full brewery in Manhattan, New York City, and you're just kind of learning the system. And we're tasting what your Doppelbach right now? No, this is the Dunkel. The Dunkel. This is the Dunkel. Um, 
we usually have a Munich dark this time of year, but uh, I, I, I want to kind of gradually, gradually go with the seasons, with the temperature. So it's like a Dunkel Lager. It is a Dunkel Lager. So, exactly. so far I've had uh, the ones I really like from you. I like your Dunkel Lager and your Schwartz beer. Mm-hmm. So what is it about making these kind of dark, sessionable beers that you I like? I just love dark beers. Because you're doing a great job. I love dark beers that you can have in the 90-degree horrible summers in the Midwest and just have this nice black IPA, black Pilsner, Schwartz beer, right? Uh, just something crisp and just um, a lot of people come into the restaurant, oh, I don't like dark beer. Well, do you? Have you ever had a variety of dark beer? So the the color is not an indicator of the flavor or robust. Um, I think this beer is very approachable for the hot weather or the cold weather. I like to go a little sweeter as the temperature reduces and add a little heat, add a little more alcohol. This one was the triple decoction. So it was boiled three different times, so you're not getting the bitterness. So I don't have to use a lot of the dark malt. I'm using just a little bit, but I'm still getting the dark color. Without that really astringent uh, espresso coffee roast bitterness, you're getting more of that sweetness, that co- cookie. Yeah, we don't need roast, too much roast. No, that would yeah. be just very out of context. So you're able to get that, and you're getting that really rounded, smooth flavor as well. Daniel, as advice from you know, a seasoned brewer to a newer brewer, anything you want to say about this beer? Well... I like it very much. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, many and Jeff is Jeff is like dark beer. Yes. Give me beer. Uh, beer. Many nights. David wants a refill in the studio. Yeah. Many too many dark beer or stouts, especially from some Belgian breweries, are really strong, really heavy. Some are very sweet, and like most people in France, at least they think dark means strong. Right. You know they expect. And in my brewery, the dark beer are even lower alcohol than the blonde Same. one. You so, have to. <laughs> and so I agree absolutely that it could be a summer. You know, it's really refreshing. And that's, I think, the way we, we should uh, drink, uh, brew these kind of beers. You really can't have too much in the summer and the fall. I think in the winter you can get away with it more because people want to warm up a bit. So uh, you want a little bit more sweetness, a little more caramel. But you need also a little more alcohol, a little more heat. Uh, but... This is not the time. You still need that balance because you don't want to get so full. You want something to complement your meal and complement your night. Cheers to that. Okay. Uh, another difference maybe with, with you <laughs> is that in a, as many uh, Belgian brewers, again, I, use, I do use uh, spices in my uh, dark beers. Very, very uh, small amounts, but I think it adds uh, so hops, of course, and some spices like also in the Christmas beer, which is mm-hmm. traditional to do so. Uh, I think you don't. Either. Oh, no, 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 yeah. no, no. Oh. The, the Rheinheiskeboot police would come and take me away, and I'd never <laughs> yeah. brew again. So you, do, you do have to follow the kind of the palm. I, uh, we are a classic Bavarian brewery. Uh, for our entire history, we have been a Rheinheiskeboot brewery, which means we only use the four main ingredients, uh, hops, yes. bar, you know. Mo- Actually, we couldn't even use wheat until, I guess, the one of the princes had a monopoly on wheat beer. Uh, so, so it's it like being at the embassy. You're kind of on German soil, even though you're in the. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. so you you are subject oh, yes. to the Rheinheitsche boat. <laughs> oh my gosh! If they, uh, you know, I said, oh hey, I threw a little cardamom in here. Daniel's smiling. So, yeah, so <laughs> he feels liberated now. No, no, no. I live in the freest country in the, the world. Freest France. beer country. <laughs> no, but extra is okay with the the, the low the purity. Oh yeah, I mean, 500 year yeah. old uh, it was the first human food consumer protection law. So uh, it's very important for tradition and for us to uh, make we beer. We did a show with, with a Sebastian Sarkon in for that, the 500th anniversary. But last thing's food and beer pairing. So where you are in France, tell yeah. us the town. 
uh, Eskelbeck. Again, it's, something I can't yeah, I know. <laughs> meaning. But it's sort of <laughs> so good. You have to understand that it's uh, the part of this part of France is called the Flanders as the Belgium, ah, right. but French part of Flanders. So most of the town or city names are the Flemish origin. So it sounds Flemish. So Eskelbeck. Um, well, Beck means river, so it's... So well, with, with your Tyrier Extra, what's, what's a favorite food pairing? Maybe your wife wants to say it, too. Uh, do, do you cook at the brewery? Or do you serve I, I, the beer with, with dinner at all? Yes, we, well, we advise... Uh, the, the consumers we don't really use it a lot for cooking well my wife does sometimes I would drink extra with um, um, fish uh, smoked fish uh, with the salty uh, side of the smoked fish and uh, the bitterness of the beer I think it's the best uh, it could be also some kind of cheese of course uh, not too strong but also same sort of salty cheese Yes. And Justin, what about, with your Dunkel Lager, what, what would you serve it with at Paulina? Oh, pork perhaps? knuckles. You have to be very traditional. <laughs> While I was in Germany uh, studying under my, my uh, boss, Uli, uh, every day he would bring lunch, and I guess the German way is, oh, here's the lunch we're having today, and it would always be some giant piece of pig. And I am kind of a pescatarian, usually. I try to stick to fish, and uh, I would always have to consume this. And everyone clears their plate. It's very uh, not. I was like, if you want to, if you don't eat meat, substitute shellfish. <laughs> there is no. I found there is no self shellfish on any menu there in Munich. <laughs> yeah, I'm a porkitarian. So. A porkitarian. So you Jeff, done last well. thing. So with with with, with your beer uh, beer FAQ new book. Do you have any any talks about food and beer pairing or? Yeah, there's 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 a section in the back a little bit. You know, I'm 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 not Garrett Oliver or anything like that, so I don't get in too detailed with it. But I I have a few sort of things where I talk about. You know what things go with pasta, what things might go with pizza and stuff like that. A lot of different beers go with pizza. Um, you know, I could I could kind of see even drinking this with a pizza with um, Dunkel Lager. Yeah, Dunkel oh, you, Lager. You but, found my diet. Don't but, tell but, a, but a like a nice, good sort of meaty pizza, maybe with with a little sort of prosciutto on it or something like that. I think maybe this would it go sounds great like being that. at Roberta's or at Roberta's Pizza. And <laughs> it sounds like what you guys should pawn. It's like the the German brewery should make pizza you know it's and jeff lasso so so beer faq it's out now yes you can get it anywhere that you would buy books amazon barnes and noble indie bound uh, independent bookstores anywhere or you know just shoot me an email and i'll send you and one you, directly. you've been living in dc yes so what are what are some of the new breweries in dc well the one the, the best one right now hands down is right proper uh they started as a brew pub and then they also opened a, a production brewery um, both located within the city limits. They do really amazing things with uh, sort of low ABV farmhouse styles. They're big on crazy riffs on Berliner Weisses and that sort of thing. And they rarely make the same beer twice, but it's really, I mean, they're pretty amazing. Um, you know, and then you get places like, you know, Atlas Brew Works. They've got a great rye beer that, you know, it's highly recommended. Um, they also do one called uh, District Common, which is sort of a riff on a California Common. So it's you know it's sort of like an anchor steam. Um, and I would also say you know I live in Alexandria, Virginia, and Port City. I got to give them a shout out. I mean they're our local brewery and they do some pretty great things. And we also have a new one opening up in Alexandria, the Portner Brew House, which should be open later this fall. And uh, it's actually run by the great-granddaughter of one of the great beer barons of Alexandria back at the turn of the 20th century. And she's 
basically rebrewing some of his old pre-prohibition recipes and everything like that. So that should be opening soon, and I'm really looking forward to that. Jeff, I should ask you that question at the beginning of the show. <laughs> but thank you. And then beer. It's Cider Week in New York City. I know you brought a cider. We don't have time to taste it, but what cider did you bring? I brought a New Zealand cider. Ooh, from uh, It's a guy who used to be a winemaker. They don't have their own orchard, but they're sourcing them from – they're based near Auckland, but they get the – One's from Nelson, uh, and they also this, this version is hopped with uh, New Zealand hops as well. Big shout out Cider Week in New York City. It's still going on. If you listen to this, it will be done soon. But cider's really been growing in, in New York, in the Northeast, and um, really proud to have met a lot of the American fine cider makers like Dan Wilson from Slyborough and, and Steve Wood from Farnham Hill. And we'll be airing a couple uh, other special cider episodes this week. And then last thing, BR, do you still have all your your English uh, cider makers in the portfolio? Yes, we do. Just list them off for us because there's that English style we don't talk about too much. But no, well, obviously, favorites. I mean, Tom Oliver, who Oliver's Cider and Perry, he's, he was here a few weeks ago. Uh, Henny's Cider, Hogan's Cider, um, Ross on Y, and I'm probably forgetting one, and I apologize, but no, we have a good amount of very traditional, uh, traditional English cider makers. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Union Beer Distributors, for help to bring this podcast to you tonight. And again, it's my fantasy night. I've got good buddy Jeff Cialetti, author, you know, a, a, a new brewer in town, Justin Meyer from at Polliner Brauhaus, and 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 the guy who makes one of my favorite beers of all time, Daniel Thierrier from from Extra. Thanks, guys, so much for coming on. You really made my night. And still check out Saturday Week NYC if you're listening live. Thanks for joining me on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producer, Justin Kennedy, and engineer, David Tattashore. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! Thank you. Yes, people. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.